0: Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Short episode, we hope, this week. We've got a few things to cover, but lots and lots of Test cricket going on. And we'll be back later in the week to wrap up all the goings on, particularly that England versus India Test match that's going on in Chennai right now. But we are going to talk some Super Smash, some Big Bash League, uh, a little bit of women's cricket as well, and South Africa and Australia series cancelled as well. So we'll go into all of that after the swish. We'll see you very, very soon. So we want to start, I think, close to home. Baldi and I had the pleasure of being over at Eden Park number one today um, to watch the game between the Firebirds and the Aces. Firebirds um, already qualified for the final and they will play um, either Canterbury or CD, depending on that Eliminator game, which I think takes place on Thursday this week. Correct, yep. Um, but what have we got our eye on in that Super Smash? That Wellington batting lineup probably deserves a little bit of chat.
1: Oh, Wellington were incredible today. Uh, higher score by Wellington, higher score at Eden Park out at Oval, 230 for two uh, after 20 overs. And Finn Allen. Uh, was the man who got off to a rocking start for Wellington. 73 off just 35 balls. Went down to Wellington to get some first-team cricket, and he's been incredible this year. Six 50s, uh, two against Auckland. He was incredible. And and your man, Stu, Devin Conway, 91, not out, off 50, uh, just showed his class again.
2: Yeah, he's he's warming into form, isn't he? He's absolutely at the right time. It's, it's great to see. I was a bit worried about Conway a little bit, just going back into Super Smash, because I think we've talked about it a little bit in that you know, he was in and around that New Zealand squad, but wasn't really getting to play. And sometimes, you know, when that happens, you don't really, you know, you can lose your form. But now he's right back into it and it's just just fantastic. What did you boys make of Finn Allen? I mean, he's looked fantastic on TV. What did, what did you make of sound off the bat and all that kind of stuff when you're live? He's a different build
1: than he was three or four years ago when we first saw him playing for Auckland as a as a really young fella. He's 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 grown into his uh grown into his body shape now. He hits the ball a long long way. He's powerful um, and plays good cricket shots. You know he didn't have to invent too much to to really take the attack to what was a pretty strong bowling lineup for Auckland. You know Kyle Jamieson, um, Will Somerville, both Test cricketers took them downtown, uh, so really destroyed all comers in that innings and and looks you know not just like a first-class cricketer, but a guy who could go on to represent New Zealand in two or three years if he keeps this kind of form up.
2: Yeah, Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit later about the Aussie T20 side. I do wonder if New Zealand will, you know, give new people an opportunity. It, it's just such a hard thing. We've got to build for this T20 World Cup and, you know, we've, we've already had a big squad and someone like Finn Allen was not close there, but he's just had such an amazing tournament you know, in any other year, I think you might get them in and around the squad, but they might be not so keen to do that at this point. Boys, you you didn't you had to get home for the pod, obviously, and didn't stick around for the women's game, but it turned out to be a, an incredibly exciting encounter.
1: Yeah, real close one, and and it looks like that that's going to be uh, the fixture in three or four days' time. the The qualifying final will be between uh, the Auckland Hearts and the Wellington Blaze for the right to meet the Canterbury Magicians in the final on Saturday, Stu.
2: Yeah, amazing. And the Blaze, you know, I I think we, I said it last week, it's just been all Blaze. It's it was all um in all Wellington really. It was it was in the men's and it looked like it was going to be in the women's, They you know, didn't have a a huge total to chase down, but I guess they've been so reliant and I guess so well served by their top order, Sophie Devine, Maddie Green, Amelia Kerr, just the the big names that they have there and and you know, they didn't fire today and and it I guess I was watching the end of that game and it, it just felt like a side that and, and players that haven't really had a bat and haven't had an opportunity to go in and in a pressure situation and they just couldn't couldn't get the job done and, and full credit to Auckland and and Canterbury finishing top of the table. I know, you know, we talked to Frankie Mackay at the start of the season and she was saying, you know, we we sort of asked her, you know, not um, not disrespectfully, I hope, but, you know, we sort of said to her, look, uh, you know, can anyone take down the blaze? And she said, yep, I think we can, the magicians. And and here we go. They've beaten them in the round robin. Mm. And, yeah, they've they've uh, finished top of the table and now we'll get a home final. So very well done there.
1: Before we move on, guys, to uh, tournaments Australian and, and topics Australian, uh, from the Super Smash men's and women's, who have you got, uh, Stuart, do you think that's going to go through and, and win both of those tournaments?
2: Well, it's hard, it is hard to go past... Uh, the the two Wellington sides, even, even with uh, the situation today, I mean, you know, Wellington Blaze now are going to be reliant a little bit on weather. And, you know, they they ended up finishing third in the competition with this loss today. So if if it does rain on Thursday, uh, then they will get knocked out. But, you know, I still feel that they just have the, they they have the absolute class, but I, I think if it is Blaze magicians, it'll be an incredibly tight encounter. And then on, you know, on the other side, you know, that, that Wellington Firebirds side has just been so powerful up front. And, you know, the, the guys who scored the runs today, Blundell, and then Conway and, and Allen, as you mentioned, have just been such good form. And, and I've been really impressed with their spinners, actually, the way they've just sort of, uh, I mean, Ratch and Ravindra's uh, had an injury now, but um, Peter Young, husband, and and even Michael Bracewell has been doing a decent job for them. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, if I had to tip someone, it'd be all Wellington. But, yeah, if anyone's going to tip it up, I'd say magicians.
0: Yeah, the only thing for me with the Firebirds is we mentioned those players at the top of the order, so uh, Finn Allen and obviously Conway, uh, Blundell and Nisham coming in at number four today. Pretty handy. Not a lot of the other guys down the order have had that opportunity because all you know, all of those guys at times during the season have gone so well. So you don't want to be you know thirty for three in the final, um, and some guys that probably haven't had even a chance. Uh, to get in it, just back to Conway and, and look. I think why well, he's really, really well placed as well for this Black Caps T20 stuff that's coming up as well. And um, he played in in many ways the perfect innings in, in that. Um, first innings of the game today because he let Finn Allen go and Mm. um you and I sort of spoke a number of times we were looking at his strike rate and he he was just ticking it over literally a runner ball and making sure that he got Allen back on strike because he was going great guns and then uh, uh, that transition as Blundell came in and kind of found his feet um he just went absolutely bananas and um yeah certainly there was one shot just straight back down the ground that was just um Absolutely pure. It was almost like a forward defensive that just cannon. Oh, was, cannoned it was, it was off, delicious off that, uh, off that bat. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think you're looking past um, yeah the the Firebirds, and similarly, I think the Blaze will be too strong as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a Canterbury Wellington final in both the men and the women. And I think I think on form and what I saw today, Wellington are going to come out on top on both of those.
0: Um, and just a a, a quick point, Bordy. We talked about this a little bit. The atmosphere today at Eden Park Outer Oval was superb and i I think um I, I reckon if they can get just a couple of thousand temporary seats in somehow that'd be a cracking place to watch uh watch a test match
1: really enjoyable place to watch cricket um I think the the playing facilities for the for the players would be the only thing that they'd have to work on to make sure that that grounds up to scratch but it's a good oval it's a good oval for test cricket because you get plenty of value for runs uh, it's a good wicket it was great wicket today it was over 400 runs scored and 40 overs so it's a, a good wicket for betting um, and I think it would be a great place to watch Test cricket. A much better venue, I think, than than Eden Park, major uh, for for Test cricket at least.
2: Just just before we leave uh, the New Zealand shores, lads, I, I did just want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, to Nelson winning the Hawk Cup this week. My old stomping ground. Uh, yeah, excellent effort. It's it's sort of something that doesn't happen. That you know the the provincial or the the New Zealand provinces that that Hawk Cup really does mean a lot to to quite a few of them. And um, yeah, really. Really good job to to Nelson there. We won't talk too much about it, but yeah, up the Griffins.
1: There we go. Another another parochial Stu Lipshaw uh, local scene. Oh, it's good to see. Well, as and, um,
0: and guests on the podcast next week, we yeah, have absolutely. got the whole of that victorious uh, side all doing a forty-five minute interview about their uh, their careers so far. Um, but let's let's hop across the Tasman. So, where do we want to start? I think let's start with a big bash on a positive note. Sydney Sixers um, again um, lifting the, the uh, the championship against the Scorchers, who have had a little bit of a, I wouldn't necessarily say an issue, but since they've moved from the Wacker to the Optus, they haven't been quite the power. Yeah, good point. Um, but they've kind of come back this year into contention.
1: Yeah, another year, another Perth-Sydney uh, Big Bash final. It's getting uh, pretty monotonous and, and repetitive uh, to, to see those two sides compete. And they're, they're by far the best two franchises in that in that Big Bash tournament over the course of the 10 years that it's been played. But Sydney really, the the, the tailor the tape in that sort of semi-final and final, is Sydney dominated off the back of the bat of James Vince. And you want your overseas player uh, to win you two or three games during the tournament with the bat. Well, James Vince won both of those games off the back of his bat uh, with a 98 and a 95 in the final. So he's, he was outstanding in, in the finals. Uh, and Sydney just too good across the park for, for the Perth Scorchers, who, who started slowly. Built into the tournament, uh, lots of momentum as Raj Reddy uh, would would have us have us mention and, and shout out to you, Raj, uh, for for the momentum of the Perth Scorchers. Uh, but Sydney Sydney Sixers just far too strong on the night, uh, far too strong with the bat, and then also far too strong with the ball, and they've got a really good bowling lineup to back up uh, those top order players that were outstanding. Josh Phillips' uh, unnecessary run out notwithstanding.
2: Yeah, look, Vince Vince was out. Yeah, Vince was just outstanding as you, you mentioned. He played. Played just, a, played an mm. awesome uh, cover, shot over cover, extra cover for six. Was just fantastic. And it, they talked a lot in the commentary around, um, you know, his England representative stuff and and sort of how he's had opportunities and kind of just hasn't really taken them for England. Mm. And, and you know, they've got so many uh, people in and around that squad and and in um, the limited overs stuff. Where do you stand on him, Binksy, in terms of making those sides?
0: Well, I think um, it raises a, a point as you look at the stats across this Big Bash um, batting statistics for the year. So um, most runs topped by Alex Hales um, and James Vince and also a couple of other guys. So Liam Livingston. Yeah, um, he was excellent. Yeah, in the top 10 as well. Um, so yeah, there's a few guys in and around that squad. And I, look, I think the key thing is whilst England are winning white ball cricket, then it's relatively easy for there to be a little bit of noise about these guys scoring plenty of runs in franchise cricket um, because at the end of the day, are you going to drop David Milan? Are you going to drop Owen Morgan? Are you going to drop Jason Roy? Um, Joe Root can't even get a game in the side at the moment. And we talked last week on the pod about how from an international runs perspective, he's pretty good across all three mm. formats. Um, I, I think probably Vince's time has passed. I, I think he's been given a number of opportunities, both Red and and white ball. And I, I don't see him being someone that they will turn to, particularly when you've got the likes of Tom Banton. Uh, you've got Dan Lawrence emerging onto the scene as well. Your favourite, Sam um, Billings. Yeah, Sam Billings, um, <laughs> uh, James Bracey. Um, so there's a few guys around that are probably ahead of him in the pecking order. For me, the conversation would be more around Alex Hales. And um, look, he, he really must have burnt some serious bridges for them not to be able yeah, to more to, it than- to to reintegrate a guy like that when mm. you know the likes of a kevin peterson have come back into the environment after yep. um what what he um did or or didn't do um
2: so yeah i saw i saw bondy saying this week uh, that he feels like Hales has been punished too much and and what a class cricketer he is yeah like you say there's, there's something's gone on and it's obviously too much that they're just not willing to get over. But-
1: yeah, I think they've got. I think you're right, Adam. I mean, this has been a tremendous shop window for for English cricketers, batters in particular. In that big bash, I mean, they've they've all been fantastic, um, and they've they've all pushed their case for selection. Livingston, I thought, was excellent. Um, Hales and and Vince have been fantastic, uh, and it's a great problem to have. You know, as as Hamish and Andy would say, must be nice to have so many players pushing for, for representative honours. But if you've got Bairstow, you've got Butler, you've got Stokes at the top of the order, you throw Roy in there as well, you know, unless one of those guys goes through a serious run of outs, then I think these guys, are, and, and guys like Shane Bond in particular, are going to benefit from having you know, these top-class English, international-caliber players available for their tournament.
0: Um, Looking at the bowling stats though, um, Baldy, who who are the next kind of cabs off the rank from an Australian perspective? And the reason I ask that is, if you look at the stats from a wickets perspective, it's pretty much all Australia in there. So there haven't been those overseas bowlers, whether that's particularly with the seamers, Mm. protecting them from too much bubble life. and, and kind of going off to play in the big bash from a you know from a conditioning perspective, yeah possibly, but yeah who, who yeah I mean some of the guys that have been mentioned uh Jai Richardson um a j Tide, they 've had a crack for Australia mm-hmm. um, I know I think Steckett is in and around um the sort of mix up at the moment, but you 've got people like Nisa as well, uh, yep. but who else is coming through, and who 's caught your eye from a bowling perspective through this um, you know 19 month big bash tournament we've yeah. just witnessed
1: a, cu- a couple of big names that are sort of kind of coming back to the fore Joe Richardson as you mentioned he was excellent in in, in the big bash uh, he's still carrying a bit of a shoulder injury and I think that won't hamper his selection chances but it certainly doesn't do it any good Same you know same with Chris Lynn you know the bad shoulders I mean you can't be a three-dimensional cricketer anymore AJ Ty has been good in this tournament I mean you know short ball notwithstanding. Um, where's Agar's the name that's being mention, mentioned a lot, a younger brother of, of a left arm spinner, Ashton Agar, 23, big unit, uh, lots of beach muscles, but also bowls a heavy ball and, and can bowl it in good areas as well. So those are the names that have kind of been mentioned. The guy who flies under the radar for me is Ben Dorshuis from the Sydney Sixers. I think he ended up with 24, 25 wickets in the tournament, bowled some really tough overs for Sydney, bowled the sort of uncomfortable overs in the power play and in the power surge in his economy rate. Have you got it there, Adam?
0: Yeah, so Dorcious, uh yeah, 24 wickets at an average of 16. Economy, just a smidge under nine, but a strike rate of 11. Yeah, so he's had an excellent tournament and
1: he's been good for a number of years. I don't think that he's one of those guys who's going to get mentioned in, in selection nah. conversations for Australia. Um, but again, the Sydney Sixers benefit from that because he turns in turns out for them year in, year out, plays every game and does a really, really good job in some of the more difficult
2: circumstances. And, and you mentioned selection there, Baldy. I mean, we've, we've seen this Aussie T20 squad yep. coming to New Zealand. I think they're on the plane mm. either as we speak or, or leaving pretty shortly. Are, are those guys that you mentioned, you know, where's Agar, are, are there any names that you, you sort of feel disappointed that, that aren't there? I mean, obviously, they named the squads before the South Africa tour has now, the South African Test Tour has now been postponed. Yep. So obviously, we'd have a few different names on there. But, yeah, from that, I guess, second-tier level, are there, are there anyone that you, you're pretty disappointed isn't coming on that plane?
1: Yeah, I would have thought that Josh Inglis had probably done enough to get in and amongst that, in and amongst that squad. Inglis uh, or Philippe? Uh, Josh Inglis. Yeah. Josh Philippe is in the squad, uh, okay. but I like Josh Inglis as well from Western Australia. So I've got the squad here. Finch, Wade, Ashton Agar, Jason Berendorf, who had a good season, but I think, you know, if you have a look at someone like possibly... Um, you know possibly Dawshus or or Steckity but Steckity's obviously in the test side Uh, Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell uh, McDermott, Ben McDermott who I thought had a good tournament, Riley Meredith I'm really glad to see him in that squad Josh Felipe who's the top order batsman from the Sydney Sixers who I think deserves a shot Jai Richardson and Kane Richardson are both in there. Daniel Sams from the Thunder, Tanvi Asanga, the young nineteen-year-old uh, leg spinner from Sydney, who you know Shane Bond on this podcast told us would have a good tournament, and what a you know what a prophetic Nostradamus prediction that was. It was he's been brilliant. Uh, Darcy Short, who's been a little bit quiet. Marcus Stoinis, who's there because his name is Marcus Stoinis uh, and can do great things for Australia. Ashton Turner, AJ Ty, and Adam Zampa. So. The guys who I thought you know were probably unlucky to miss out there, really Josh Inglis for mine, I think has done enough to be considered for that tour. Um, and there are a couple of bowlers in there, but I think they've got it pretty much right. Um, anyone who I would leave out, I think probably would be Berendorf, but he's done a reasonable job in the finals uh, for Perth. He's bowled tough overs, um, did a reasonable job against those Sydney openers as well. So I think it's a pretty good looking squad. Obviously there's no... Um, test players, uh, other than Wade, in that in that T Twenty squad to come here to New Zealand. They're on their way today. Um, the only guy that really concerns me there is the form of Aaron Finch, who um, hasn't been able to buy a run either in the IPL or in the Big Bash. So uh, he'll he'll have a lot of a lot of work to do and, and a lot to prove in this in this tournament because he's got to be uh, informed because he's our captain going into India.
2: Hey, has anyone figured out how to say Josh Felipe's name? They they said it. On the commentary, they were all saying it, Josh Filipe yesterday. I've heard Josh Felipe, Josh, you know, all sorts of different uh, pronunciations of that last name. Is he the new Manus He
1: could be. I'm going to attempt to, in the spirit of Manus, to say Josh Filipe's name as differently as I can every time I pronounce it until I'm given an <laughs> official word on, on how it's pronounced.
0: I just said, like, the actor, and that is it. Is it Ryan Filipe? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: So he's Ryan Filipe. is he? Bro- brother of brother, yeah. of. brother of Ryan. Okay, well, that's his new nickname,
2: Brother of Ryan.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and you squad. mentioned you,
2: you mentioned Manus there. Uh, do you feel I kind of feel like he's been a bit disrespected by it. not not necessarily his um, not necessarily his uh, kind of the way they're joking about him, but actually as a bowler this summer because he's come back into that um, BBL stuff and done really well. Mm. Or, you know when he was uh, in the Test stuff and it, it felt like all his teammates were laughing at him because he said he got he wanted to get two hundred Test wickets, but BBL, he's come back in. He's been a really important bowler. Yeah,
1: he bowls really well. I mean, he and Swepson were a big part of the reason why that heat fairy tale just kept going and going and going, and they run into the finals. Uh, both of those guys were able to put the brakes on, put the squeeze on, as they say now. It's the modern vernacular. Uh, but Manus was, was good. Bowled good leggies, bowled good wrong in good areas. Changed his, the, the thing that really impressed me, actually, is his ability to change his pace for a part-timer, Often part-timers don't bowl enough and frequently enough in different situations where they're able to successfully change their pace up. You know, they might try a quicker one and drag it down. They might get a little bit of loop and bowl a fully. But he was able to change his pace uh, really, really well. And I think he formed a great combination with um, He He is going to be a good part-time bowler if Australia have a captain that uses him appropriately.
0: My my question for you on this, Baldy, e, we're, we're not that far away from this T20 World Cup now. You've not got that many more games to kind of settle on your, um, again, we use the modern vernacular, your role within the team. Sure. This squad looks, to me, a little bit experimental. So notwithstanding, you know, bubble to bubble and all those kind of conversations, the South Africa tour that's been cancelled. Sure. But... Yeah, this squad just, it feels as if there's some guys in this list that are no chance of playing in that World Cup. Yeah, they probably are, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, how you could yeah, how you could kind of read that? Is it an opportunity for some guys to play themselves into it? Is it for, you know, a Finch potentially, a chance where he might talk himself out of a, of a T20 World Cup if he can't get going again?
1: A couple of things that are going to be really interesting in this tour is who bets at number four because there's lots of guys in that Australian side and you throw Warner in there and you throw Lubbershane, those guys all bat in the top three. Uh, all the guys they've brought in, Philippi, Darcy, Short, uh, they all bat in the top three. The guy who I'm really looking for is Ben McDermott to see what he can do, because he's probably the guy that Australia are looking at in that squad to go, OK, we need someone to bat in that kind of awkward 4-5 position in and bat in the middle overs, um, and what's he going to be able to do there? I don't think Australia... have decided on their spin combination. I think the fact that Tanvir Sanger's come out of the woodwork, they've given him an opportunity to show what he's going to have on the international stage. Maybe they're looking at him for, for India. I think they're probably looking more like Agar and Zampa are going to be our top two spinners, and then do we take a third one in the squad would be my question.
0: Well, and Zampa's got the coffee machine as well, so that's important.
1: Yep, big time. Yep, big time. And if you're in the bubble, you need you need to be able to wake up early, and, and he's got the form there, so it's good for him.
0: So... We're going to move from the slightly frivolous, um, my comment around uh, Adam Zampa's uh, very, very nice medium grind, um, flat white and some excellent milk work. And, and also carries all of the, you know, the, the other milk with him as well. You know, a bit of soy, a bit of almond. It's all uh, there for you. A bit you. of yep. oat milk. He's, yep. he's got all of those in the kit bag. But we, we've mentioned this Cricket Australia cancellation um, of the South Africa tour. Fair to say Graham Smith, not particularly happy. Um, I'm just going to raise a relatively provocative statement here. If this had been a tour to England and the English Cricket Board had been guaranteeing that biosecurity safety, like mm-hmm. they did for the West Indies um, and Pakistan, I, I would I would favour that Australia would have been on um, on that plane. And I think the other component here is that we uh, we did talk to Fido's, um Munda. Um, about this and, and the importance um, of that tour. So whilst um, you ponder that thought, um, let's hear from Fadoz now and what she said about the importance of this tour to the cricket South Africa economy. It's
1: really tricky and there's so much hinging on it. It really is. You know, I can't stress how important it is for South African cricket that that series goes ahead from a playing perspective, from a financial perspective. Because, and it's really the only certain cricket we've got. And then there's just kind of this blank slate. I mean, next summer is so unconfirmed. That you know other teams have got fixtures going, and, and we don 't even know if we'll have a cricket board by then, mm. so it, it's it's very important that it takes place
0: so um, that was recorded obviously before the decision for this to be uh, to be cancelled, but just stressing from a cricket South Africa perspective the importance and whilst that can't be the reason that a team goes and tours, mm. um, yeah, it feels as if um, there's some kind of different yeah d- different boards listen to in sort of different uh, different circumstances potentially.
1: I can't, I can't refute that claim because I don't know the, the conversations that have gone on but the, the the news that has come out of the Australian camp in response to the the you know South Africa being quite rightly pretty pretty upset and perturbed it, it sounded to me and I'm speculating here that South Africa put their best foot forward and said these are the things that we can do and 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 what we're going to try and do to make that that bio biosecure bubble work for the Australian team um I think the Australian team had some pretty strict requirements around, um the whether or not the staff that are that are that are working in the biosecure facility would be on site or they would be allowed to go home with their families reading between the lines i think something in that setup had rate has raised some concerns from the australian uh, medical professionals and the australian response from their board was that um, our medical professionals have given us overwhelming um evidence and reasons to suggest that 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 we can't guarantee the safety of our players, and that's what the Australian board has gone with. Look, I can't respond to the, the, the question around whether or not they would go if it were England. Um, or India. Or, or, or India or, or any other nation. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is they've said that they've listened to medical advice and medical advice has told them that they can't go. They've offered to host the series and, and South Africa have said no I think f- from Fedosa's comments, I think the reason for that is probably financial, uh, in that a postponed tour means at some point South Africa will get some financial benefit and income from Australia going to tour South Africa, even if it's not before July or before the World, T20 fi- uh, World Test Championship final. Look, it's a really sad situation because from an Australian point of view, their next tour then, or their next big test series is the Ashes. And so all these questions that we had around, you know, what were we going to do with leadership? What were we going to do with our bowling attack? What were we going to do with our opening batters and our middle order batters? All these questions now won't get answered potentially until that first test of the Ashes series. And have a look at how good England are going at the moment. That's a real concern, I think, for Australian cricket, not just the fact that we can't get over and play some cricket in South Africa for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, I think think that's probably the point that I want to pick up on as well, but the fact that it's just, it's just sad for cricket, you know, because I think we could, we could deep dive into, and you know, I, I understand your point completely, Binksy, and, and do feel like uh, they might've tried possibly a little bit harder if it was uh, an India or an, an England tour, you know, it, it would, it feels hard to, to think that the ashes would be, would be canceled um, because of COVID given that uh, England was able to, to demonstrate what they could do and, and, you know, South Africa obviously had some some troubles in that bubble with England. So, you know, it without being in that situation, it's impossible to know. But I think as Fados said, as you've touched on, Bully, it's just sad for cricket because, you know, it was proving it was going to be such an important uh, such an important part for the World Test Championship, such an important series, an important series for for those two countries. I mean, South Africa obviously in Pakistan right now, they've just been to Sri Lanka. They seem like a side that's trying to rebuild and, and coming up against Australia. Would have been a great contest on that front. And also Australia, their test side obviously has just had this series against India where everyone expected them to win in the circumstances and they weren't able to do that. So it would have been an opportunity for them to, I guess, show that they're a top side again and to go push their best foot forward for the the World Test Championship, which, you know, the the postponement of this tour now means that New Zealand automatically qualify for
0: The closing, uh, I think, thought I'll put on this is the ICC's role in all of this. If you look at other governing bodies uh, of pretty much any sport, they would control these kind of protocols and say what needs to be put in place. And Mm. ultimately in this environment now, this COVID environment that we are going to be in for the next several years, I I would think in terms of some of the enhanced things that are going to be required to make sure that we don't have any issues they've been almost deafeningly silent on this matter they, they've not really got involved and and from an outsider's perspective appeared to influence these conversations and mm. um look i know it's always been the case in cricket that the Home or the sorry the visiting board security teams and medical teams will often go and check these places out. We only need to look at Pakistan and yeah, the, you know the point. ability to go and tour over there. Um, it's been down to those individual security advisors for countries to say actually we can't you know we can go yeah and this is what we will need yeah. Um, so I I do challenge the ICC. I'm sure they listen to the pod, um, but I, I would challenge them to kind of look at this and say right how can we actually now help these boards to broker those kind of deals and arrangements, put in some absolute guide rails that are really going to help those conversations um, and that planning and say, look, these are the, you know, the minimum standards. Um, There's going to be some other things that you might need to negotiate, but that for me now needs to be their role. If they're going to keep 10 nations, um, 11 nations playing playing test cricket.
1: You're absolutely right. And I, I hadn't really thought about that in that way before. It's a really good point because The ICC can set a framework for touring and they can set a framework for, you know, in this environment, you need to provide these securities for players. You need to be able to provide grounds and accommodation and training facilities that match these standards. And then it becomes not easy, but easier for hosting nations, particularly ones that are affected in the larger community by COVID, like England, like Pakistan, like India, like South Africa are, to go, well, actually... There's all of this stuff going on in the community, but actually from a biosecurity perspective, we can guarantee the safety of players because we meet all of these frameworks and standards that the ICC would have set. And then it makes it easier to judge whether or not a country like Bangladesh or a country like Ireland or whoever can meet those standards and can host, can host tours. And then it's less about the financial benefit or otherwise of whether or not those guys can tour, because that's always important, but whether or not actually they are fit. Yeah. From a medical perspective and a biosecurity perspective, to put those tours on.
0: Yeah, at the minute it just seems as if they come up with a you know a points table that no one understands and ping someone for wearing the wrong colour wristband or or bowling slow overrate. Yeah, yeah, fair enough.
2: Yeah, geez, that that overrate. That we uh, we've talked about how much it annoys us that people bowl slow overrates and just nobody cares about it, but it could actually now play a major part in the World Test Championship. Aussie dock points and now is under New Zealand and, uh, you know, New Zealand's now obviously qualified. Good. It's about
1: time that someone did something about slow over rates and if it takes Australia missing the World Test Championship to actually go and solve that problem, then good.
0: And the irony being that the match referee was David Boone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. good. Well, that, all they need to do now is fix the no-ball problem and then, we're,
0: and then we're sorted. Fix the no-ball problem in terms of? There were 220
1: no-balls or something like that in Test cricket between August 2020 and now since the umpires started using the third umpire to refer no balls. It's incredible. It's almost like people are paying the price for 25 years of fast bowlers running into the nets from under 12 cricket to club cricket to international cricket and just paying no attention to the front line when they're training. Um, it's starting to bite people in the bum.
2: Just just on the World Test Championship from a New Zealand point of view, obviously fantastic We've, we're now there. We talked about how... Um, in, we're going to tour England for two tests so now obviously three tests in a row in England which is actually really big for New Zealand we don't you know we, we sort of don't get to go over there probably as much as as we would like and and those tours I think mean a lot for they've certainly meant a lot in my lifetime as a fan uh, you know watching the black caps and and trying to win over there and now that I've now that I've I guess got my head into the fact that New Zealand's going to be in it I feel really disappointed that it's the World Test Championship has one Test the final because if it's a draw, I've I've heard no super overs, no count backs. It is just a draw, and they share the trophy, which you know maybe maybe not in England where um, you tend to get results. But yeah, imagine you know all this big four four year cycle, or three year cycle, or whatever it is, and we just have a a draw for the final. I feel like that would be a real shame.
0: Well, I mean the Sheffield Shields. If you are in, the, if you qualify first for the final, or you're top of the you're ladder. Host the final. You host the final, and a draw or get, first innings, yeah, gets you the gets you the shield. Yep, that's right. So yeah, I wonder whether that's potentially a first better, innings. Yeah. Well, well, why don't we just change the rules at, uh, at the at the conclusion of the match? Yep. Yeah, keep the kiwi. Well, that's a good idea. Keep the kiwis well, that's on. That's what their toes. happened in the World
1: Cup final, yeah. wasn't it? Halfway through, Halfway the rules. through, we'll just change the rules, and we'll go now first innings. <laughs> Whoever's won first innings, if there's a draw, then it's just we'll go back to that. Or, the most balls left outside of off stump, perhaps
0: most snowballs,
1: most no snow, fewer snowballs, Shit, well, there yeah. you go, best overrate, yeah there you go. On best over o- o-
2: o- note though on a serious note, I do think they're going to have learned a lot, hopefully from this world Test championship. I think that the fact that it's gone through and it and it's had so many obstacles, hopefully now they can actually put together something that people will care about even more because it, it has brought something and you know, if they can refine it, it will hopefully bring even more to the Test game. It's given us two things. It's
1: given us context in Test series that otherwise wouldn't have had it, and it's engaged fans. A lot of the mechanics and the logistics of it have been really haphazard um, from, from all, in all aspects. So that needs a complete ho- overhaul from the calendar to the length that the, the, um, the round robins or whatever they're called go all the way through. But it's given us context in Test matches that otherwise wouldn't have had them. And things take on extra meaning, which is fantastic. And it's got players and fans talking about it. Australia said in response to, you know, the the not being able to go to South Africa, it's a real shame because our ability to play in the World Test Championship final now is out of our hands. Going to South Africa, Australia 2-0 or 3-0 could have almost guaranteed themselves a place in the final. But... Now they can't. So I, I think it's got players interested in it. It's got fans interested in it. We just need to get the format right. And once we do that,
0: tickety-boo. Well, guys, we're about to wrap up the pod. And you told me I couldn't talk about England-India. Um, but until
1: Thursday. You can talk about it on Thursday. I,
0: I do just want to give a massive uh, shout-out to our uh, captain, uh, Joe Root. Um, 200 and... Uh, yeah, 218 in that uh, game uh, going ahead at the moment. So... Um, yeah, as we as we stand, um, England, 578 in the first innings. India, 70 for two. Um, day three, session two. But um, he's in a rich vein of form. And and for me, that kind of big four conversation's back again, isn't it?
1: Yep, it's back on. So the big three is now the big four again. You throw Babar Azam in there and it's a big five. He's been incredible of late, Joe Root. Seven uh, tests in India with a score above 50 in a row. Uh, it's good enough for second all time three back-to-back hundreds. He now has three double hundreds as captain of England. No one else has more than one. He's just in an incredible vein of form at the moment, and you're absolutely right. He's starting to answer all of those questions that people put to him about conversion rates, about scoring lots of 50s but not scoring hundreds, about not going on and scoring big scores. So he's answered all of those questions, and, you know, it just goes to show if you prefer batting at four, bat at four. Make someone else bat at number three, because if you can get double hundreds batting at four, that's where you should be.
0: Absolutely,
2: lads. Before before we finish, I'm sure uh, Binksy will get plenty of opportunity on Thursday to talk about how good Joe Root's going. And and yeah, I will echo those comments. Uh, It has been incredibly impressive. And um, you know, Binksy talked about how good he is at playing spin, and and he's certainly shown that uh, in the last month. But I did before um, we do go, I I did want to ask you, Baldy, what's what's going on with Justin Langer? He's getting um, you know full support of the board, and Steve Smith's asking him all these questions, saying. You know he's got he's got a bit, little bit of work to do on uh, on his personal side and management side mm-hmm. and and you know everyone's got to grow and all mm-hmm. these kind of comments that you know if if they happened in the when the football managers get uh, the full support of the board and the premiership they, the they are sacked about a week yeah. later so yeah what's going on? Look.
1: Justin Langer is an interesting character. He's almost the polar opposite of someone like Darren Lehman. You know, because you watched... I I watched a lot of Darren Lehman's um, team in the Big Bash. They're my team, the Brisbane Heat. And he's a completely relaxed character. Can't watch a game. Very nervous watching the game. But he's a completely relaxed character and and sends really simple basic messages to his team. I think Justin Langer is an incredibly intense, hard-on-his-sleeve, emotional guy who works brilliantly when you're wired the same way that he is. When you're wired the same way that Justin Langer is, I think he's an easy guy to, to work with and and to, to be mentored by. Players who are wired differently, I think, will respond differently to him. And you see that in all walks of life, in business and in sport and in personal relationships. You know, if you aren't the kind of intense character that that he is, I think there's an opportunity for him to to Rub, rub you the wrong way a, a little bit, and also to, to maybe not meet in the middle. It's very difficult for pl- people like that to meet laid-back characters or, or kind of introverted characters in the middle from a relationship point of view. So um, to a certain extent, he's right, Steve Smith. He's got a lot of work to do to make sure that he's uh, being inclusive in terms of the way he relates to players. Um, I think his intensity needs to be, needs to be um, balanced by someone who's a little bit more laid-back in that dressing room. I think the, the other thing that we need to that we need to consider is all of this um, all of this stuff. Sorry, there's a wicket's just fallen and Binksy's Binksy's got the old fist pump going. Kohli's gone in the background. Kohli's has been dismissed. Coley caught Pope po- Bowl best for eleven. There you go, live scoring. Um, the, the key issue for me is if Australia aren't having those conversations about having to learn and having to grow from a leadership point of view. There's something fundamentally wrong with the way that we're trying to develop our coaches and our leaders. So I think that's a really good thing that we're having those conversations. They can be unfortunate and they sorry, they can be uncomfortable um, and they can be ugly at times, but they have to be having them now before we find ourselves 2-0 down in an Ashes series and all of a sudden the wheels start to fall off and there's fractures in the dressing room.
0: Yeah, look, I don't know because I, I don't know enough about the goings-on in the Australian dressing room other than having watched that um, bit of Aussie propaganda on Amazon oh, at, here we Yeah, a, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. But one thing is for sure, you can see that there's some clashes in that dressing room environment. There's some players that are on the outer. Um, Usman Khawaja is a really good one. He's, he's a very different character to Langer. He was happy to speak up against yep. um, probably some of those kind of regime things. For me, the coach has got to facilitate a number of different personalities, a number of different ways of approaching the game. If you've got someone like Shane Warne who wants a cigarette and a toasted ham and cheese sandwich, but he's got 708 test wickets, You kind of need to give someone like that a little bit of rope as long as he's not undermining the whole ethos of the team. It seems as if it's my way or the highway a little bit and um, just that lack of adaptability. And, you know, we've talked about this on the pod with Mickey Arthur and perhaps how he's a little bit old-fashioned. And I think if you look at the best managers, the best coaches, they give freedom for their players to go out and express themselves um, and win games of cricket. And it sounds as if when you've got Steve Smith... Um, who, let's be honest, you know, from a leadership perspective, um, isn't really one to stand in a high place and, and throw um, throw rocks. If he's making those kind of comments mm. with his standing as a cricketer, then I think that that's going to really, really start to undermine that dressing room quite quickly, particularly if results don't flow.
1: Yeah, they've, they've, they've got some stuff to address there. I mean, you talked about it. Just because a guy is an intense character doesn't mean they can't relate well to players. You, you take a guy like... Um, uh, like Sir Alex uh, from Manchester United. An intense character, very demanding of his players, but gave them the individual freedom to, to express themselves within within a, a pretty loose framework of, of how they wanted to play, how Manchester United wanted to play. Wayne Bennett, from a rugby league perspective, exactly the same thing.
0: You're going yeah. back in era, though, as well.
1: Yeah, I am going back in era both with both of those guys. but But... All of the players, and I've been lucky enough to meet Wayne Bennett and talk to him, and all of the players who talk about him and and relate to him talk about how he cares about them as a person. And I think what Australia need to do is maybe just go back to first principles and get to know each other a little bit better as people um, and understand each other as people and then then work from there and and move forward from there. It's going to take a really fine balance of Justin Langer putting his vision for what he wants Australia to do, but then finding ways for individuals like Smith, like Marnus, like Cummins, to to exist and to thrive within that framework and in a cricket team it's not easy you know cricket team is one of the biggest groups of people that you've got on the field where you've still got the ability for individuals to change the course of the game it's bigger than basketball it's not as big as American football but it's right in that middle ground and you've got to have all 11 people 12 people 13 people um, that are involved getting on the same page and I think that's going to be a real challenge for Australian cricket moving forward.
0: Well, look, uh, Baldy, a very eloquent way to, to end the pod. I'm sure we're going to have lots more to talk about with Australia, as we mentioned earlier on hitting the shores here today. First game, the 22nd of February at Hagley Oval. We'll be at Eden Park for, I think, the fourth um, game with the final uh, T20 being played at the Bay Oval in Taronga. So wickets getting um, better throughout the, the course of the uh, the tour. Hopefully Finchie's in some form by the time mm. they, they hit um, Taronga. But as we said, heaps and heaps of cricket Going on, so we are going to be aiming to record a little bit later um, this week. Our live scoring update, of course, three or four days um, out a date already. I'm hoping um, that England managed to get over the line by the uh, the time this hits the airwaves. But if not, we'll be talking about it in the podcast feed over the next two or three days. Would urge you to go and dip back into the back catalogue, have a listen to Fado's uh, Moon. Plenty of news, views, and interviews as well uh, that you can go and catch up on. Um, But the top order will be back very, very shortly in your podcast feeds. Um, But for now, good night. God bless and we'll speak to you soon.